It is Thursday morning, January 14th, the year 2021. Luka Doncic is not the only person putting up giant numbers. I'm Bobby Corelli, he is Skin Wade, and you are listening to Numbers on the Boards. Skin, the Mavs have won four in a row. We're going to live forever. How are you on this fine weekday morning? Well, Bobby, thank you so much for asking me. I am in great, great spirits, despite the fact that we're dealing with COVID weirdness in the NBA, and obviously it's hitting the Mavericks really hard, but I'm an optimistic person, so I'm imagining the days when we get further past the COVID pandemic, and I see a team that is going to be really, really good, my friend. Yeah, the future is looking bright, especially because if uh, if you whip out your calendar, it's been about seven days since the Mavs' first three players had to self-isolate. Now, one of them reportedly tested positive since, but that means that the other guy can rejoin the team soon. So uh, reinforcements are on the way, but uh, they came in a big way last night. Seven foot three version of reinforcements popped up on the court in Charlotte, Kristaps Porzingis. And the Mavs are able to win 104-93. to KP played, what, like 21, 22 minutes. He didn't play too much. Rick Carlisle's kind of easing him in, obviously, uh, you know, trying to get him back into uh, – get, get his lungs back, basically, and his legs and everything. But shot looked good. Energy looked good. And, and it's just kind of – it just reminds you of – you know, we'll talk about Luka and everything later. But when you just drop a really, really good player onto the floor – everything just becomes so much easier for everybody else. Yeah, it, the the ripple effect of greatness in the NBA is really unlike any other sport. I mean, there's obviously comparisons and we can do those things, but, you know, you got five guys and you have a finite amount of space here. And so when you start stacking, that's why, you know, great players want to team up with other great players because it only underscores their greatness to have less attention paid to them and them have the ability to, to really do great things. And I think, you know, the best example of that is go look at Tim Hardaway Jr.'s numbers when he's been around really good players and when he's been around struggling teams. His, those are the kind of guys that really benefit uh, and you really see their talents when they're surrounded by top-tier you know, elite NBA players. And I think by most measurements, I feel very comfortable saying that Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis are both top 20 caliber players in the NBA. And in the case of Doncic, you're talking about a top three or five styled guy. So uh, the impact of, of Porzingis being on the floor was instant. And I think that you uh, last night's game against Charlotte was a very unique way to look at it. We can get into that a little bit later in the pod, but uh, it just jumped off the screen what it means to have that guy playing on this team. Yeah, it was really – that point was driven home by his first basket. So he missed his first shot, and then uh, his second shot, Luca brought the ball up the floor, and Terry Rozier was hounding him as he did in the first game uh, whenever they played the Hornets a couple weeks ago, and Charlotte won by 20. They were up by 31 in the third quarter in that game. Oftentimes in the early parts of the year, opponents were – pressing Luka full court, wasting shot clock seconds. By the time the Mavs are finally running in action, there's like 12 seconds left on the shot clock and they can't get a good shot. Well, last night Rozier was doing that to Luka, 
And so as soon as Luca crossed midcourt, he just flung it over to Porzingis, who bombed a 30-footer. And on the broadcast, I could even hear you just go like, sheesh, like... It's just when it's that easy to score because that guy can just shoot from 30 feet away. Like Luca, you can't you can't just have five sets of eyes on Luca, you know, because if if you stop thinking about Porzingis for one second, then he's going to bomb a 30 footer right in your face. Yeah, and it's, you know, good luck closing out on that, trying to get into that sight line. Uh, Second tallest player in the NBA that can shoot from way out there. It's it's a different ballgame. And, you know, it's not like the Mavericks were struggling offensively without Porzingis, but it just, this is where you go, oh, yeah, I forgot. They were like the best offensive team ever. Uh, and, you know, it's it's not that all five guys are incredible offensive players. It's that those two, and specifically that one, makes it so much easier for everybody else. I was uh, in my car heading to where, you know, I am right now at the station to do this podcast. And... Uh, Corey over on the fan was reading a Boban quote and I'm paraphrasing, but it's something to the effect of that guy just makes it so easy. All you have to do is get open and he finds you and you score. That's the, that's the basic uh, foundation of the quote. And it is because, you know, we saw it in the Orlando game. I was just so stunned that Orlando, and I'm not criticizing anybody. I mean, good luck stopping Luca but they were so committed to double teaming Luca 40 feet away from the basket just to get the ball out of his hands. And I'm like, okay, you got the ball out of his hands. Now it's a four on three. Is that better for you? Uh, You know, his size and his vision and his also his anticipation about what is going to happen makes him, you know, a top three offensive talent and it makes it so easy for everybody else. And so when you put another unbelievable number one styled offensive player that creates problems for defenses along with him. Good luck, everybody. You know, you just better hope that they miss. And last night was kind of a full circle-ish sort of moment. So, you know, the season is still very young. And as Natasha Bedingfield once wisely said, Skin, the rest is still unwritten. So we have no idea what's going to happen. We, the, the Mavs play the Bucks tomorrow. Bucks could win by 40. But today, on January 14th, the Mavs are now basically about two and a half weeks from their low point of the season, which in my opinion was losing the home opener to the Hornets. So two weeks later, they go back to Charlotte and they beat Charlotte down pretty good and everyone's feeling great. Porzingis is back. Tim Hardaway Jr. is now shooting 42% from three on the year. And Luka is a totally different player. I mean, he's the same guy, but like, it's really hard to believe that two weeks ago, He's staying after the game for an hour to shoot jump shots on the main floor at American Airlines Center because to that point in the year, I think he was two for 21 on threes. The Mavs were one in three. Luka just looked, he, he looked like he'd just run a marathon basically like right before the season started. He just had no gas, no juice, no nothing. And everything was really stagnant. And now all of a sudden, two weeks later, not only is he in his last five games, the Mavs are undefeated. In those games, he's averaging a 30-point triple-double. But the Mavs are now the number two defense in the NBA. They're shooting the lights out from three, especially Hardaway Jr. Trey Burks had some really good games too. And all of a sudden, it's like now this team looks like they could win two or three playoff series. And it's just crazy how much has changed in such a short period of time. Yeah, and and the thing that you know is is resounding to me is the defense part of it. 
And I love that you brought up the Charlotte uh, game because me, you, and Chuck Cooperstein were having a conversation after that Charlotte game at the next game. And we were talking about different things. And one of the things that really stood out to me, and I'd mention it to you guys, was that moment in the game where Luca got beat, Maxie came over, his man cleaned up the slop and dunked it. And Luca and Josh Richardson, who by all accounts really like one another, were barking each other and yelling at each other on the court. And they were both very dissatisfied. And it was over a defensive breakdown. And so we spent so much time talking about the commitment to being a better defensive team. And look, they got Josh Richardson and they drafted Josh Green. And we're really going to make a commitment to being a better defensive team. Well, you know, that's you get better players, but it's also about a commitment to defense. And it's about being tied together defensively more than anything. And I think the best example, you know, we've ever saw that around here was that 2011. Obviously, the story is Dirk and Jet hit big shots, but that was a fantastic defensive team. And it was a lot of veteran guys, uh, you know, being smart defensively and being tied together defensively. And I don't think there's any, I think it's a, it's not a coincidence and there's a really cool irony to that moment of complete team defensive breakdown against Charlotte. And then fast forward several weeks later and Charlotte ain't got a chance of scoring consistently on you. And not only that, arguably the Mavericks three best individual defenders aren't there. I think you and I would probably agree that, Dorian, Josh, and Maxi are their three best individual defenders. And if they're not, they're in the discussion. And so here we are several weeks later against the same team that did whatever they wanted to against the Mavericks. And they really struggled to score, really struggled to. And as we talked about on the broadcast, the Mavericks were contesting shots. They were taking things away from Charlotte. And it was a, it was great individual effort, but it was a team defensive effort. And if you're watching that game and you're seeing what it's like for a guy to beat his man and there's Porzingis and Collie Stein back there and the shot's difficult, it's game changing. And I think it's really interesting to look at that, those two games, because it's the same opponent and just look at the very stark differences in how they're playing defense. And that is what, and again, without their three best individual defensive players, that's what should give people uh, hope or excitement about what this team is eventually going to be this year. Yeah, and Luca being involved in that sort of back and forth with Richardson is really crucial, especially when coupled with he him staying for an hour after that game. So it's it's one thing for your best player to be kind of like the spiritual leader. You know, Luca's an upbeat guy; he likes to have fun, keeps everybody loose, and everything. It's another thing for him to be a vocal leader, right? Like being willing to get on his teammates and inspire his teammates and lead huddles. Uh, during a timeout in the Miami game on New Year's Day, he like drew up a play on the dry erase board in the huddle uh, early in the game. But it's another thing. It's like the, the highest level, like leadership nirvana. When after like a, a low point, you deliver on the thing that you're trying to kind of inspire in the rest of your teammates. After that Charlotte game, he stayed for an hour and put up jump shots. Well, since then, he's shooting 36% on threes. In that Charlotte game, he and Josh Richardson are going back and forth, 
Since then, he's had like his three or four best defensive games of his entire career. Now, will he be in like really an all-world defender, defender at least in terms of productivity? I mean, he's get he had a career high five steals one game, career high four blocks last night. Will he keep doing that? Probably not. Will he keep shooting 36% on threes? I mean, gosh, I hope so, but we can't count on that. But just his immediate response in the wake of those low moments, which both happen to come in the same game, is really inspiring to to me as a non-player. I can only imagine how it makes his teammates feel. Is like, this guy is really good. Everybody knows it. He's under a ton of pressure to produce and everything. He's trying to get us to that same level, and when he fails – he will back up his words with action and with improvement. It, it just has to it has to make everybody's pride swell, everybody's confidence increase, and, and it must demand everyone else to play with that same level of resolve and intensity as Luca does because you want to match the level that your star player is at. Yeah, no, I think you said that perfectly, and I think it kind of goes along with this idea of establishing a culture and establishing an identity. And I think those things are easier to do when all the players like and believe in one another. Uh, and we know that they they get along well and those kinds of things. And now they're actually going out there and uh, implementing it on the, the first uh, Mavs live that I did with Devin. Uh, Devin was kept talking about the idea of attention to details. And, and this takes me back to the first time I, I it was, uh, Melvin that I heard first heard say this was the idea of corporate knowledge and using that terminology of here's what we're about. Here's our, uh, these are our roots. These are, this is our identity. This is what we're about. This is what we embody. And, and we're, and I think we're starting to see that starting to see what the identity of this thing, what they want it to be and how they're going to get there. And there's just, a great commitment level top to bottom in doing that. There's going to be bumps in the road, but these are the right kind of guys. I think another great example of that is everybody wants to start, but Tim Hardaway Jr. gets moved to the bench and and scores the most points off the bench in math history. I think those are little things that really show what it's about and these guys' commitment to one another and what they're trying to accomplish. And it's got to start with Luca and for him to go out there and be dialed in the way he is defensively there is a ripple effect to that and I think it's great for everyone on the team so one of the big bummers of this season is and there there are many and there's a lot of bad stuff going on in the world I mean COVID-19 is terrible and turn on the news and you'll know what we're talking about but one of the big bummers in the fallout of you know health and safety protocols and everything is that people like you and me aren't able to walk around the sidelines before a game and talk to coaches and players, whatever, just like, you know, shoot the breeze with these guys. And that is kind of something that I would really like to do to hear their takes on uh, Josh Green and Wessa Wundu in particular, those two guys, because they both are just playing like maniacs in the last few games. And, you know, the shooting numbers aren't great. The offensive numbers, like Josh Green, for example, didn't score in his first game. Wes Wundu in the same game against the Magic played, I think, 32 minutes and got like one shot and didn't make it. Um, But they play with such a manic kind of frenetic energy on defense. And it just, I I, I mean, I I don't know. That, That must be their job, right? That must be what they're instructed to do is just go out there and just play like your pants are on fire on defense until you come out of the game. 
But I would just love to hear what, you know, people that are much closer to the team than we are, what they think about them as players and, and, and kind of like what the vision for them is because it's been really intriguing to go watch them just play like maniacs for, I don't know, however many minutes they're on the floor. What do you, what do you think about those guys? What are you kind of seen from them? And, and, and do they remind you of anybody? I mean, what's, what's the deal with them? I like your, I like your point about a one dude from the standpoint of like, dude, one of the most painful things to do over the last few years is watch Orlando play. So I'm not going to sit here and act like I've seen a bunch of a one dude. You know, if the Mavericks weren't playing them or, you know, wasn't flipping around on league pass and there happened to be a good game, I was not focused in on that team. I didn't really enjoy watching them play, to be honest with you. Um, I was shocked last night when Falwell said that he had started 46 games in his three years in Orlando. I was like, really? I would have guessed like 12. But you could tell uh, why the Mavericks, it makes a lot of sense in the times that he's been on the floor, why the Mavericks went out and got him if they really are committed to improving the defense of this team and having guys that, you know, you know that if he may not play a couple games, but when I throw him in, he's going to go play like that. It reminds me of, and I know this, a lot of people uh, don't like this guy around here, but I actually saw, the first two games that Pat Beverly played as a Houston Rocket. He was signed mid-season. One of the reasons I saw one of those games is because it was in Dallas. And he came off the bench. And I remember the way he was picking up defensively. And I think I said it on the broadcast. And I didn't I didn't watch him play in Arkansas. I didn't know anything about Pat Beverly. But I said, if that guy is going to play like that all the time, he'll be in the NBA for a long time because uh, it just has such a ripple effect when one guy's playing that hard and that ferociously on defense. Look at a guy like Tony Allen, who, my God, that was about as inept an offensive player as you could have. He started for most of his career because of his tenacious defensive attitude and the effect that it had. And so the Mavericks, obviously, we talked about this on draft night. I was with you and Coop. Mavericks obviously drafted Josh Green because of that defensive prowess that he showed, the ability to to be that guy. And I think we've seen with a one do he when he goes out there, you know, you asked me who he, he reminds me of, and I know a lot of people were fond of of saying that Josh Richardson reminded them uh, of another Josh that we had here that made an All Star team and was a really good defensive player alongside Dirk. But a one do looks physically more like him than Richardson does to me. And it's that length and that height and those long arms and all those kinds of things. So um, I don't know how often those guys are going to play when Richardson is here and Dorian is here and et cetera, and et cetera. But I think what we've seen in these couple of games is that when Rick calls on them, those two guys are going to go play their asses off. Yeah. And that kind of, that really intrigues me about green because he is, he's only 20 years old and, you know, you don't, you never want to mistake activity for productivity and, you know, green bites on pump fakes and everything. But if you can just play at that level, like with that level of energy on defense and you refine some things and you, you watch more film, you get more used to NBA players and the speed of the game and everything like your job, as long as you're playing with a guy like Luca is just to spill out all of your energy on defense on offense. You can just run the floor. Sure. Take open shots. Sure. Go to the basket. Sure. But like, I, I don't know. After seeing him play, it's only been a few games. And and same for Awundu. And Awundu's only like 24, 25. He's still a really young guy. 
Like there is room for you to just put 99.9% of your effort and focus on defense if you're playing with a guy like Luca, because as Boban himself said, all you have to do is just stand there and you're going to get open eventually. So there's, there's no pressure on them offensively. And so if you can have kind of that sort of change of pace thing, I mean, Dorian, Josh Richardson, they make things happen, but they're more like solid defenders. Whereas someone like Josh Green and a one are just going to go out and just like, you know, they're just going to hound you in, in Pat Beverly style. I'm, I'm really happy that you brought that up because that, they, they do kind of remind me of like, taller, longer versions of Pat Bev or of rookie Josh Howard. Uh, just boundless energy and and that kind of thing. I don't know. It's just really been missing from this team. Last year's team had like microwave offensive players and maybe maybe people like Awundu and Green are like microwave defensive players where you just put them in the game and just let them cook. Yeah, no, I think I like that. I like that a little analogy. And the interesting thing about Wes is that he's long. You know, Josh is a little more compact. Um, also like his, I mean, dude, we're, we're looking at small sample sizes, but his body control really strikes me. The, the way that he can do really wildly athletic things without it being looking crazy strenuous, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like there's another dude on the team that we were playing last night in bridges that is just so effortlessly explosive. You know, a lot of guys, like, you can tell the energy they're expending to do athletic things. And there's some guys that are just so effortlessly explosive athletically. And I think Josh Green strikes me as being that sort of a guy. Um, and, you know, that, that whole idea about just go expend your energy and play hard and run the floor and it'll come back to you. There was a play that kind of jumped to my mind as you were saying that. Where basically Luca got a rebound and Josh just took off. And Luca made a 60-foot pass because uh, Josh's effort got him behind the defense and it led to free throws. That's like the easiest thing in the NBA. I got a rebound, I threw a pass, and now we're shooting free throws. Um, those kinds of plays, they're simple. It's, it's not a plan. It's not a play. It's just hard play and being dialed into the game leads to fortuitous things. And those make the game easier for everybody. Uh, and so that's real encouraging. I do want to say something about Luca's defense, though, that I was thinking about. And there's a lot of guys that don't aren't. I mean, anybody that plays in the NBA is a great athlete at some level. Like even people go, well, Boban's not a great athlete. It's like, dude, compared to the other people his size in the world, he's a great athlete. Um, so you know, we're all talking about relative NBA athleticism, and there's been lots of guys that were really good defensive players because they were intelligent defensive players. Then the, the examples that always come up in my mind, one, I think of later day, Jason Kidd, where he wasn't quick anymore, but he relied on intelligence and strength to always be in the right position. And I think Luca has the strength and has the intelligence to where he can always be in the right position. And another great example is Larry Bird was a really good defensive player. But you wouldn't just go put Larry Bird on the other team's best player and go, all right, keep him in front of you. He was a great defensive player because he utilized his size, he utilized his intelligence, but he utilized his basketball sixth sense. Jason Kidd was as good as anybody ever at doing this, in my opinion. But, you know, the same way that a great offensive player with the ball will steer defenders to where he wants them to be, 
and he does it by angles. He does it by looking off passes. He, he kind of moves defenders around like chess pieces, these uber intellectual basketball players, LeBron, Jason Kidd, uh, Luka Doncic, et cetera. Those same instincts that allow them to do that, where they anticipate how the other, it's like chess. They anticipate what the other person's going to do before they do it because of their knowledge of the game. You can do those same things on defense. And what it allows you to do is using your basketball sixth sense to make sure that you're in great positions to make plays like swipes and steals and, and blocks. And it's not like, hey, I'm going to jump out of the gym and block your shot. It's I'm going to anticipate where your release point is and where you're going to shoot it. And I will be there to counteract it because my mind is working in a fashion where I'm predicting what's going to happen before it happens because I have that sort of processing skill. And that is a way in which if you just watch Luca compared to like compare Luca's athleticism at six, eight to, I don't know, a one do is athleticism, for example, right? There are different types of athleticism, but you can utilize your strength and your anticipation to be a really good individual defender. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing with Luca is he's putting a focus on that. And because he does think ahead and anticipate so well, it puts him in it. What do you have? Four blocks last night and two steals. Those weren't like him coming over from the weak side and blocking it off the backboard. Those were anticipatory blocks and anticipatory swipes. Dirk was really good at the anticipatory swipe. And so as we start to see those things unfold, it's really fun and exciting because you have to realize when you have someone that special, they can be special in every single facet of the game. When he does have kind of an intriguing sort of physical toolkit to weaponize the IQ defensively, so he doesn't have a 50-inch vertical or anything, but He's a strong guy, and he's six seven, six eight, long arms. I mean, he can, unlike Jason Kidd, who was you know six three, six four. Luca can, like, I, who who was it? It was might have been Devonte Graham, or maybe it was Rozier last night, who like kind of beat him off the dribble, and Luca was just like, no, he just swallowed him up and blocked the shot. You know, so that that length. You know what I was gonna say, Bobby? Too though is the thing about Jason Kidd is I think Jason Kidd was probably physically the strongest person on that team. That's yeah. as strong as a six, four man as you'll ever see in your life. And so a lot of, a lot of defensive leverage is about beating someone to the spot and moving them off of the spot. And so if you know, you know, everybody who played or their coach growing up, say beat your man to the spot, beat your man to the spot. That's about anticipation. Uh, and so, you know, if you know what's going to happen next and you're strong enough, you can stop it from happening. And I think that's kind of like what we're talking about with Luca. We've seen it on offense. Dude, he gets his body into seven-foot guys and moves them away from him so he can shoot over them. That is a ridiculous amount of power and strength. And he's a big boy. Like, what is he? Is he do we list him at 6'8"? What is he listed at? Uh, I think he's listed at 6'7", 2'. 10, maybe both are probably lying. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, you're right though. It, his, his physical strength is such that it allows him to do things that, you know, we should, we should perceive as athletic, even though when we talk about athleticism, we're generally talking about explosive quicks and hops. 
Yeah, I mean, just think of him. I, I guess defensively, maybe we should start considering him, or his ceiling at least, because Jason Kidd did it for you know twenty years. But maybe Luca's defensive future is six foot seven, Jason Kidd. Like that, that wouldn't be so bad. No, and and let me let me please clarify. I'm talking about Dallas Maverick era, Jason Kidd. Because if you go out there and you watch Jason Kidd in the 90s, you're going to be like, that guy's quick as – holy hell, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm talking about the Jason Kidd we had in 2000. By the time we got Jason Kidd, his athletic days were behind him. And it was all just pure basketball brain on display every night. It was a beautiful thing. Yeah, so looking forward now a little bit, it's tough to look too far ahead because, I mean, we have to – you know, we, we can't sugarcoat this. There are a lot of postponements. The Mavs are missing four guys due to COVID safety protocols. Timeline on them returning, we have no idea. Um, timeline on other players around the league returning, we have no idea. Will games be played? All the, I mean, we have no idea. There's there's two games that are postponed. I think for tomorrow that haven't even we're like still a day away, and there's two games postponed. So we have no idea. You can't look too far ahead. But over the next few days. We do know that the Mavs will still be without those, at least three of those guys. Uh, one might be coming back. No idea. Um, I, I, you, you can't even look beyond really the next game, which is Milwaukee. Now, the Mavs have had some success against the Bucks. They beat them both times last year. They stomped them, frankly, in the preseason for what that's worth um, twice. But kind of the two main guys that you would think would defend Giannis, Josh Richardson and Maxi Kleba, are both going to be gone. They're not going to play in that game. And so the question is, you know, and, and the guy that would defend Chris Middleton, Josh Richardson, is not going to be there either. So the question is, like, Milwaukee has the number one offense in the league. Their defense is picking it up. Giannis is just a, a beast. Chris Middleton is, like, shooting 54% from the field and, like, 47% from three this year. So what do you do, Coach Skin, how do you prepare for the Bucks, given the Mavs personnel? Who are you starting? Who's guarding Giannis? Like, what? What are you? What is your goal for the game? What? How? How are you trying to to win this thing? I'm gonna, you know, it's gonna be one of those things where can we outscore them? But I think I would be inclined to put Collie Stein on the Greek freak and hope he doesn't get him in foul trouble. I think you know they're they're pretty similar physically in terms of how they're built and their size. Um, and so that, and then I would probably, you know, with that current lineup that they're rolling out, I'd probably put Wes on Middleton. I think, I think he has the, you know, Middleton's stock here and probably can body him in that mid post area. I think that's where I would lean to go, uh, and see how that plays out. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not a good time to play the Bucks and the Mavericks have had such great success against the Bucks. Um, but yeah, you know, this is sort of a stem the tide uh, kind of time period, tread water. It's nice to get a little four-game winning streak going into this game uh, so that you do feel really good about yourselves. But, you know, it's going to have to – like, well, I think it was the game – everything runs together. It was the game last year at Milwaukee where I don't think Luca played and we just right. shot the lights out, didn't we? Yeah, that was Porzingis and Seth Curry and Jalen Brunson, I think, all had just big games. And then Dorian had a massive game against them in the bubble, two career high, like 25 points or something. Yeah, we're going to need to shoot the lights out and and hopefully not deal with uh, deal with foul trouble. Because that, that's a really – hey, man, everybody's got their set of problems. It's a tough time to play the Bucks. 
you want to play them with your full complement of players because you've shown that you just head up, go head to head with them, and you can compete with them. They're, you know, they're not better than you. Um, I don't believe they're better than the Mavericks. I think the Mavericks have had full strength, have proven that out over the last couple of years. Ooh, hot take from skin. Let's go. Uh, and then right after that, it's a, a back-to-back with Chicago and Toronto. Toronto's reeling. They their their record is very poor. I think they're only two and eight, but they've blown double-digit leads in six games, and so like they're not as bad as their record. Chicago, of course, beat the Mavs uh, earlier this season, and so it's going to be a tough little stretch of three games and four nights rounding out the weekend. Uh, one of them Sunday matinee. God bless. I love a good Sunday matinee. But skin, kind of final thought from you before uh, before we wrap it up. Small sample size, one game. Uh, but before that, it was Kleba. So I guess, you know, we have like a couple weeks now of the Mavs going big, big. And now coming in the year, we thought it would be KP at the five with Luka and three wings in the starting lineup. But they've had some really, really major success with Kali Stein starting at the five. And so do you think uh, moving forward, KP at the four and Kali Stein at the five is the play? Or do you think it'll be a matchup dependent thing or in a month, we'll have even forgotten that that experiment even happened. Like, where where is your head out on that moving forward? I, I think that the way that Tim has played in the couple games he's come off the bench, you know, he was supposed to come off the bench yesterday. And that was like a last-minute change. Like, when we rolled out the starting lineups, we had Trey Burke, and then there was a change at the last minute. But, uh, you know, I'm really inclined to like – uh, KP and Kali Stein and Luca and uh, Dorian and Josh. I mean, I really like that. And then I think if you're coming off your bench with the Hardaway Juniors and the Maxis, I mean, that's that's a really really great starting lineup that is multifaceted. And I think they're with Porzingis and Josh and Luca and Dorian in the corner. I think there's enough shooting with that starting lineup. And I think that Kali Stein rolling and making those weak side defenders figure out what they're going to do and Porzingis at that sort of 45-degree angle three-point shot, that's a there's a lot of room for Luka to dance. Um, so I, I like conceptually what that starting lineup can be. Really, really like it. Um, and then I think you have a, a great bench. So uh, I know I'm inclined to want to start rolling in that direction, but – uh, you know, those Rick and the gang like to tinker and think about matchups and different things like that. So I don't think it's going to be one of those things where here's our starting five every single time. Let's go. I think there will be some adjustments along the way. Yeah, we will see. There's still plenty of basketball to be played left, even in this condensed season. And we will be with you every step of the way on numbers on the board skin. Thank you for uh, for fighting through some some technical issues. You had to call into this one. It's COVID season, and we are uh, we're, we're trying to do this responsibly, but it means a lot of adjusting on the fly. So, uh, credit to you for uh, for making it happen. Is there any 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 last words or any whatever recommendations or, or thoughts that you want to fire off before we uh, move on? Yeah, you know, I would just say thanks everybody for listening, and of course, stay safe out there. We've been through a really rough eleven months or so, and. It feels like there's light at the end of the tunnel, but we we still have our, our problems. Uh, so stay the course, stay sell, uh, safe and healthy and be respectful of your neighbors. And uh, hopefully in a couple months here, we're getting excited as we head towards playoff basketball. The world is gradually becoming what it was once before. So 
Stay up, everybody. We got this. Couldn't have said it better myself. He is Skin. I am Bobby. This is Numbers on the Boards. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review on your favorite podcast platform. And uh, we will be back with you next week.